0: Welcome to the Syndicate from the Business of Hockey and the Goal with your hosts Richard York and Kowalski. Sit down, have a cigar and scotch, listen to some good music, and we'll talk hockey and business. Let's start this episode. One pitch.
1: A liner in the center field. The have won the
0: World Welcome Series. to our new interview format called Drop the Mits from the Business of Hockey and the Goal. Today's guest is Brian Doherty. Enjoy. Les said that Bill James, who lived just down from you, worked at that cannery down there.
1: That is really where the basis of analytics started in 1977 is really when Bill James kind of started. He was working at a cannery in Holton, which is about, I would say, a half hour, 40 minutes away. And he was doing this in his spare time. So he just did it and did it. He approached the Major League Baseball a few times, and then he started just using it in everyday stat casting, so to speak. So from there, it did really kind of catch on. And it didn't really catch on until, like the early 90s, I know that the Moneyball movie was kind of cliche now, but Billy Bean really adopted that whole philosophy that James kind of created uh, in 77 and in then- then just kind of ran with it to the point where last time I knew James was with the Boston Red Sox as an analytic advisor. And how that started, it was just something that he did. He was kind of like us. He was kind of, he kind of liked the nerd out on the math of baseball. And so he, he did it in his spare time. A lot of people don't know that he was from Kansas, and that's kind of, you know, modern baseball as we know. It started right down the road from where I live.
0: So is there anything that you could tell us about him that maybe the average fan doesn't know? Something that only
1: locals would know about him? When I started 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 following the analytics of baseball. I mean, he was just a really, from what I gather, kind of Midwestern kind of family man that was working at a cannery and that really got tired of the way baseball was being presented statistically. You know, he wanted, you know, he pushed the MLB to take and release uh, every inning box scores. Detailed, like, what he was doing, detailed information in the paper. And the MLB was like, we would have to start our own paper. We wanted to do that every inning. So, yeah, so he's just a real quiet man and just a very much a family man. As far as I know, like I say, you know, James has been out of Kansas for years now doing this. He was just a Midwestern guy that loved baseball, loved the math of baseball. Anybody out there that would love to get the history of analytics, he's got four books that he's published and that are very recognizable as far as history and how analytics got started in Major League history. He's kind of that godfather, and so he's got books out there. Anybody that wants to get in on analytics, look him up. He's a great reads. So earlier you were
0: talking about war ratings for the baseball players. I know that's a rating that they're starting to use in hockey now, but it's still not a common term for the average fan. Did you maybe want to explain what that is to us lonely uh, hockey fans?
1: Yeah, for sure. So war is wins above replacement. So essentially what you do is it's a weighted statistic. You have player A who is your everyday player and they value that player. They say that player is worth so many wins. So that player by himself, would be worth three wins against another player. I was giving you the Ben Zobris example. Omar Infante, who was the player that Ben replaced, was worth a war of maybe 1.5. The statistics say he can win you one and a half games by himself. Now, whether that's from fielding or hitting, one of those two things will get you one and a half wins throughout a 162-game season. But say Sidney Crosby has a WAR of six. They're saying that Sidney is going to, at some point, by himself, be able to give you six wins. So it's a weighted statistics to let you know how valuable a player is, and the fact of what he will give you a VL win whether that's a great top shelf for Sydney, something like that. That's really what war is. It's just a weighted value of how many wins throughout a particular season a player can give you. So it's kind of used as more of like an umbrella term
0: to kind of help break down and make things easier to explain for the average viewer. I know in in hockey analytics, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. They do zone entries, they do puck possession, all kinds of stuff like that. They gotten to the point where they have GPS sensors so they can keep track of how fast you're turning and they have heartbeat monitors so they can test how your conditioning is doing during a game state as well now. I know baseball is a bit slower and a bit more methodical. That's kind of where I see a lot of this. It's almost like a chess game now, especially when you have all these other little notes and pieces and analytics and stuff that you can do. And people really seem to enjoy sitting down and actually looking almost at like the chess match and the game inside of the game or the game outside of the game, however you wish to word it. When it comes to the analytics and the numbers, they have found more value in than just what you're watching. They've actually found the depths of numbers that obviously fans and baseball leagues and and fantasy games and that kind of stuff—they all pull from this, don't they?
1: Yeah, they do. If you look at modern baseball, the shift, which is the huge us Americans, the purest baseball fans, the shift was brought on because, like you said, the numbers are getting so finite that you know a pitcher that has a turnover velocity, say, of seventeen percent, and a pull hitter that hits, I say, a curve, a mid-eighties curve, he hits that—you know, seventy-five percent of the time, he's going to pull that to right field. So you're seeing shifts based on those numbers. And, you know, Ned Yost, the the Royals manager of that 2015 team, he was very much an old school kind of coach. And he actually got fired from Milwaukee a week before Milwaukee was going to make a playoff coach 10 years ago. It took us 10 years to get to the World Series to make this process he got fired from his previous managerial. He was such an old school coach. They just got tired of him blowing games. And when he first got to Kansas City, he was the same way. And we had a an affectionate term every time we felt like Ned would be a, a managerial call. We would call it getting Yosted because that was his last name. And so for the first five years of Ned's tenure in Kansas City, he was very stubborn about using those analytics. And finally, that last five years, he just retired from coaching. He relied on that and he relied on coaches that, the numbers to us, it makes sense. We're you know semi younger fans, it just made sense to us, and so he finally did that. Like I said, with some of the additions we made in 15, it's a very hard thing to get an old school sports fan to buy into. Well, we're certainly seeing that in every league. Even in
0: hockey, we just did a recording on the New York Rangers. They're a team that doesn't have any problems financially, whether they're winning, whether they're losing. They always seem to be successful one way or another on the books. So when you get up into ownership groups and management practices and whatnot, they seem to be a lot less caring about what product they're putting out on the ice. Especially with the Rangers, we noticed that they like to bring in, they almost like to try to make all-star teams and they bring them to New York. At the time, there was no salary cap, so they could do it like crazy. Just signing people, throw money at people because they could. They had no... Problem stopping them from doing it. And they have a cap era now in hockey. They have to get a lot more creative with numbers, and they have to get a lot more creative with who they're bringing in. You know, bang for your buck sort of uh, players. Now, when you talk about the the analytics transferring over into football, for instance, it's the same kind of thing. Is that there's a lot of franchises there that aren't hurting for money at all. Those guys do well no matter whether they're winning or losing. Like I remember hearing the the Tennessee Titans were worth a whole shitload of money. You know, like you when you think football, you don't think Tennessee. Titans. It's different when you hear like the Dallas Cowboys, they're worth a huge amount of money. But even then, they've always had money to spend. It wasn't something that I'm sure that a lot of these people up in the big offices, they didn't really care too much about fine-tuning the players on the field, right? Because it they probably didn't see much of a profit difference one way or another, whether their team was kicking ass or whether they were basement dwellers going for draft picks.
1: Yeah. And you see that a lot too in baseball. I mean, speaking of the New York Rangers, I mean, you've got the New York Yankees in New York too, that love to spend money and yeah and for a lot a lot of years they bought championships in the 90s you know you had jeter and then you bring on alex rodriguez you have to realize i mean this is how much the yankees didn't care about money my personal franchises are considered very small market teams but the yankees you remember they gave alex rodriguez a 300 million dollar contract and so they would throw money at these places the royals and the chiefs have to be smarter about that to your point you know we have to worry about finding diamonds in the rough so to speak like if you look at the yeah. chiefs team you know Tyreek Hill was definitely a first-round talent Tyreek Hill had a run-in with the law and a girlfriend but He slid to the fourth round, I want to say. And so like for us, that's where I hope where that analytics is coming in. Analytically speaking, you look at Tyreek Hill, you graded him a first grade talent. He's now slipping. But why is he slipping? So when football, you have to weigh, it seems like there are more issues like that. You have to weigh that there too. You know, so you say, okay, Tyreek Hill's a first round talent. He slipped in the third or the fourth. We can pick him up financially. It makes sense regardless, you know, what everybody else says. Says, analytically speaking he had the third fastest 40 of his draft he was a running back but he had good hands and so that's where it gets tough in football you know like hockey I had no idea hockey players were wearing heart monitors at this point it advances really quickly football's doing that same thing only it's a little bit different where they're looking at it's still more of a talent-based analytics where it's not necessarily financial based or where it's not merely like playing ability like in baseball where you have war and things like that for football right now it's more of a financial analytics, you're seeing that where PFF or, Pro Football Focus is the biggest analytic football website that I know of here in the States. They're starting to grade linemen, and, but it's hard to also quantify that. And so that's interesting to see how they're doing that, you know, where they started with a lineman and a lineman gets an overall grade for that week based on pull blocks, missed blocks, pancake blocks, things like that. It's harder to kind of quantify that, you know, whereas in baseball, somebody, a third baseman gets, you know, a line drive hit at him and he misses it. Well, then you can quantify that. So it's it's been a little bit more difficult for football mathematicians to to quantify that. But you also see the Cleveland Browns two years ago brought in a baseball analytic guy to try and push that forward. It's the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, (laughs) you know, and they drafted Baker Mayfield, whether Baker, they saw something analytically speaking of Baker, whether it was, you know, his war that they brought him in and made him a number one overall pick, Uh, whether Baker pans out. I don't think he will. I don't think he has a lot of the intangibles. And I watched a lot of Baker Mayfield because I'm a Big 12 guy. I'm right in the heart of Big 12 country. So I just didn't see what everybody else saw. He transferred a bunch of schools. He started at Texas Tech, walked on to Oklahoma. They tried the analytic thing a couple of years ago. And whether that works out, I don't know. You know, And then they brought in Jarvis Landry. They brought in Bill Beckham. So they brought these people in because analytically speaking, those are high catch, high yak, yards after catch. So they thought they would. And they went six, and 10 Last year, football that analytics is still kind of a crapshoot.
0: Well, it certainly seems to be geared a lot more to the the draft pick or the draft picks, as far as I'm seeing. So, as far as uh, player development and player scouting, that certainly seems to be where football is more focused at.
1: I have a question for you two, and then we can we can go wherever. But I want to put this question in your ears. Sure. So the St. Louis Blues, what two years ago won a cup, or was it last year that they won the cup? It is what last year. Last year. So they went from from last to first at the All-Star break, correct? Yeah. My question is, how much math or how much analytics had to do with that? And how much was it of just them turning it on, so to speak? Did they add anybody? Did they subtract anybody? Like, like In your guys' opinion, how did that last to first 30 or 40 games? How did that happen?
0: This has been part one of The Syndicate from the Business of Hockey and the Gold. Next week, we'll be posting part two. Thanks for listening to The Syndicate from the Business of Hockey and the Gold. Until next week.